Good morning, church. Happy New Year, 2020. It's an amazing that we are here by the graces of God. Have you made a New Year's resolution yet? Have you broke it? I, I made one. I resolved to regain sight, 2020, not using no more glasses. But I'm not sure how it's going to go because it is not in my power. But I have one resolution for you, maybe this morning, from the text. To resolve not to quench the spirit. We're all guilty of it. We're quenching the spirit. And as we look at the text, we'll see. And, and my hope is to meditate on the text and to expand the text and put it on the practical application and to see how can we do better? How can we allow the Spirit to do His job in us? Now we're going to First Thessalonians and we are at the last stretch to finish the book. We'll have one more sermon after this, but in verses 19 to 22, this is our passage where we find Paul is shooting at us bullet points with five different commands. But we start our reading with verse 15 because it kind of wraps up. It starts with charging us to do what is good and also to avoid evil. So if you read with me and we'll pray in verse 15, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, Paul is ending this book, and you could see how he ended in the book, he's gaining the authority. In the beginning, he was very polite, very nice, very gentle, very kind. He praised them a lot, but at the end of the book, he's kind of gained the apostolic authority, and he shoots them at them these commands. Now read with me. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are before you simply acknowledging that we would not be able to gain the knowledge from the Scripture without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would allow the Spirit to work in us mightily, to explain the Scripture to us and to bring it to obedience, and to change our lives. Pray in the name of Jesus, whom we worship, love, and adore. Amen. Now we're talking about do not quench the Holy Spirit. This is how I name my sermon. But you can see that it has a prominent, prominent theme in these five commands. Paul is addressing us as Thessalonians, addressing believers here in the text, calling us to have a relation with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want to take 
from this passage is there are only, we could break it into two parts. I know there's five commands, but they're really breaking into two simple commands. Number one, do not quench the Spirit or not despise the Holy Spirit. And number two, be discerning. Number two, be discerning. And we're going to look at how this applies to us. Now, the first of all, when Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about as the third person of the Trinity. He is a person. He's not just the power or the fire. He is the one that the closest to you today. Bill read about Jesus going home to the Father, and he said, I'm going to send you another helper who will be with you always. The Holy Spirit is with you in your hearts. He is the one who produced change in your lives initially, brought you to Christ, applied the redemption of Jesus Christ to you. He is your friend. And this is about this friend that going side by side with you, that promotes you to do good things, that changes you into image of Christ, this person we are guilty of abusing. Now, Bible often talks about the spirit as the fire. Now, I mentioned that he is the person, but Bible talks about the spirit or about God as the father. Remember, God is talking about his presence with uh, Israel, and he appeared to Moses first in a burning bush, and then he was at the pillar of fire over the tabernacle with them, meaning that he is there. He is on fire for them. He's providing a guidance for them. God is also appears as fire, showing us that he is purity. He's purifying things. Remember, in Hebrews 10, 29, he is saying that God is consuming fire. He can't stand sin. Nadab and Abihu, remember, as they brought a strange fire, God burned them down. Talking about the purity. When we come before him, he is the fire. The concern about the purity and holiness. But God's spirit is also presents himself as a fire, as a passion. Passion for his name and his glory. And if you remember, when first people turned to Christ, when the, at the day of the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the people. He came upon in the fire. And the tongues of fire were upon the people. In the chapter X, Acts chapter 4, verse 31, he says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. This is what John the Baptist promised. He said, As for me, I baptize you with the water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than me, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that is exactly what happened at the, uh, at the Pentecost. And they appeared to them as a tongues of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. Now, why this metaphor? Why God is appearing as a fire, as a passion for his people, as purity in the presence? Why fire? And why Paul speaking to us here, do not quench the spirit? Well, if you, assume, if you assume that Paul is talking in the same references about the Holy Spirit as the fire, it comes very handy when he says, do not quench this 
fire. Now, let me give you the main point of what Paul is trying to communicate here. Paul is saying that we should not, we should be very carefully to realize the work of the Spirit in our midst. Should be very carefully and not be very quickly to put it down or to cool it off and to put water on this fire. And yet, especially in our society today, we should be very careful to distinguish whether this is the work of the Spirit or or false prophecy or false experience. So two things Paul is separating. He He said, first of all, be careful not to quench the fire of the Spirit. Be careful as you relate to Him, what He's trying to produce in you, what desires He's trying to give it through you, what actions He has to, He's trying to do through you. Do not quench Him. And second thing is that when you're dealing with the spiritual reality and experiences, be careful because there are many false prophets and there's many false experiences that we could fall into it. Hebert said it really well. He said, the Spirit's fire is quenched whenever His presence is ignored and His promotings are suppressed and rejected. Or the fervor of He kindles in the heart is dampened by unspiritual attitudes, criticism, or actions. Certainty, certainly any toleration of immorality or idleness against which they have been worn. So Paul starts and said, first of all, Do not despise the activity of the Holy Spirit. How can we do that? How can we we despise, how can we put cold water on the activity of the Holy Spirit? Do we do that? Now, we know that the world despises the Spirit. We know that the world opposes the Spirit. It doesn't accept the Spirit of God. In Acts 7.51, we read that, Stephen, when he's preaching to the religious leaders, and he said, you, an unbelieving heart, he said, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. We understand that the world resists the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 10, 29, says, now much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trumped under the food the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. Those people who insult the spirit of grace, unbelieving heart insults, resists, and fights. Isaiah 63, 10 says, but they rebel and grieved his Holy Spirit. The unbelieving heart grieves, rebels, but what about us? Notice Paul is not talking about them. Paul is talking about us. Paul is talking about Thessalonians, the model church. And he said, do not quench the spirit. How can this possible? Now, we know in few passages of the Bible that Paul alluded to that also. In Ephesians 4.30, he said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Here he says, do not quench. There he said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We could do both. We could quench the Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is what the difference when we, when we quench the Spirit, the Spirit grieves. That's talking about us. Here in Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. These two passages address believers. Psalm 103, verse 9 says, He will not always strive with us. We are striving with His Spirit. 
And Galatians 5.17 says that we are fighting against the Spirit. Our flesh fights against the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit. He's talking about us. It's not them. It's not those people. It's us. We're sometimes fighting the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, grieving the Spirit. How can we do that? Why do we do that? Let me define what quenching is. As I already said, the Spirit, settle in, in your heart to do some job through you and in you. To do your job in the congregation. To change us into the image of Christ. To do with us what he eternally planned. And if we don't see any changes, that means that we're quenching the Spirit. The same expression used in Greek when one is using extinguishing the fire with water, or to choke the fire, or to stop, or to suppress. When you take the oxygen from the fire, the fire quenches. Tony Evans said, the grieving, the grief of the Holy Spirit is like letting corrosion build on the battery so that the power of the battery cannot be accessed. You know, sometimes your car doesn't start because it has a corrosion. There's a power, but you can't get it because there's a corrosion. Sometimes there's flesh, and fleshly desires strive in our hearts so much that we block the activity of the Spirit. Now, if you want to live a life that has no power to overcome sin, that you should be no worrying about quenching the Spirit. Just live as you are. But if you find... If you find yourself low energy for Christ, without power to access, enormous power of Holy Spirit to, to change and to do things for Him, perhaps that you have quenched the Spirit for a long time. But if you want to live your life to the full potentials, if you want to com uh, a, combustion, uh, a combustion under your hood, if you want a fire in your heart, if you want wings on your back, you might stop quenching the Spirit. Stop putting cold water on spiritual desires that are produced by the Spirit of God alone. This is what Paul talked to Timothy. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God. Kindle afresh. God is in you, and he produces the desire. He gives you the desires and the giftedness. And our job is not to find the giftedness. It's our job is not to add some giftedness to us, but to kindle afresh what God gave us already. Earlier in 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul wrote, Do not neglect the spiritual gifts within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by presbytery. So in a sense, God gives you a choice. You could quench the spirit, or you could not. You could live a lousy, very pathetic, very low-energy Christian life, or you could be living for the full potential if you allow the spirit work in you. God grants you a choice. God gives you fuel. And if we pollute this fuel with something else, we lose the power. Years ago, we were driving with my family on a big truck, and, and it was in winter, winter time, and we stopped to refuel. And the guy sold us the diesel mixed with water. 
Now, we did not know that. What happened the next night as we were driving, the temperature dropped below zero, and the fuel froze. And all of a sudden, the truck stopped. We had no idea what's going on. The whole fuel system was corrupted. Fuel system doesn't work, so it took us a day and a half to fix it at the machine shop, at the shop. But this is what happened to you. If you pollute the power of God with your own power, with your own desires, with your own agenda, you have no power to go. You have no power to be as God wants you to be. As for Christians, we don't need more spirit in our lives. We have the full potential of the spirit. We don't need more power. We don't need more life. We have it. All we need to do is stir things up. We need to stop putting lid on the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot fill us, empower us, unless we neg- if we neglect our spiritual lives. Now, if you can choke this Holy Spirit in your heart completely, He lives in you, and His residence then is permanent. You cannot choke completely the Spirit. He's still there. But you could resist the Spirit. You could grieve the Spirit. You could put the lid on His activities. Now, here's the principle. Not to quench the Spirit means to allow the Spirit to work freely and to do His work of shaping us into the image of God and His church also. The Spirit does it primarily by helping us to apply the Word of God, which leads to a change. He's enabling us to overcome flesh and to be excited about God's will. On the other hand, to quench the Spirit means to block, to suppress the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. And when this happens, the church becomes a pool of stagnant water. You come to church and you feel nothing. You're dead. You're depressed. The church that is quenches the spirit becomes a place where flesh is prevailing. You will see the strive among the members who has personal agenda elevated about God's plan and agenda to proclaim his message of dying Jesus to the dying world. The church that suppresses the work of the Holy Spirit may preach the word of God faithfully. But this word and this preaching become a tickling of ears and produces no change in people's life because the, pre- the, the power of the Spirit was suppressed to apply this word. The word of God comes in one ear and immediately flies from the other. And the church becomes insensitive, insen- insensitive to the voice of God. Pride take place instead of humility. Now, we don't want to experience that. We want to experience the full power of God. Now, how do we quench the Spirit? I'll give you four things. There are probably many more. John Piper gives us seven. I'll give you four. How do you practically quench the Spirit? How do I quench the Spirit? And we are guilty of it far more than we think. Far more than we think. Of how much book I've read, how much Bible I've read, I should be not just a doctor, triple doctor. I should be saint to the full extent of this, of this, of this word. But I'm lagging. Now, number one, we quench the spirit when we despise the word of God. That's what Paul says in the next phrase. He says, do not despise prophetic utterances. When we despise prophecies of God, we quench the Spirit because the Spirit operates primarily, primarily through the Word of God. 
The Word of God is the channel through which and the instruments by which the Spirit produces changes in our lives. The first indication that you and I suppresses the work of the Spirit in us personally and in the church, in a congregation, when we neglect the Word of God and we hear it, but we don't hear it. We come here and we have no idea what we've been taught. Now, the, the, the very scariest question of every preacher is after the sermon next week to ask people, say, what was I preaching about? And people would say, well, you preached a good sermon. It was, it was a good sermon. It was from the Bible. I remember that. Yeah, Thessalonians, something about Thessalonians. But there's no lasting power. There's no lasting change. There's no, no, no lasting Im- impact. We're guilty of it. We neglect it. Now, in this historical context, Paul was talking about these Thessalonians, and, and they were following pretty good. He said, you received the word of God, us from God, not us from, us from men. In chapter 2, you received us from God, and we praise you for that. But for some reason, he, at the end of the letter, he said, I charge you. Look, in verse 27, I adjure you. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. For some reason, he has to bring this big gun and say, well, I charge you to read this word. Don't just neglect this, because this is the prophecy from God. And perhaps we do not know exactly that they were despising prophetic preferences. And the reason is because there's a new church, and they used to read Old Testament. They went to synagogue all their lives, and they read Old Testament. And now there's some guy comes in with a new revelation. It is just unheard of. Now, Apostle Paul will understand, but there's a people that God raises in the congregation, speaks for God, and says, thus says the Lord. The natural inclination of the flesh, so we'll just wait a second. I know Paul. I know Jesus. But who are you? Now, we don't know exactly what happens, but all of a sudden, everyone is a priest. Everyone is a spirit in the spiritual house, a holy priesthood that offers up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. And remember, this is a new church. They need to be taught. And Paul says, well, do not despise prophetic utterances. Meaning that when the word of God comes in different packages, in different books, accept it. Do not just despise it. Now, what's prophetic utterances? The prophetic utterances, in particular case, uh, means that new prophecies from the Lord. New prophecies from the Lord. Now remember, probably by this time when Thessalonians were written, James was written, maybe Galatians, maybe Matthew, but that's about it. First Corinthians has been written. Majority of the Bible was not written. Bible, the church relied on the prophets to bring the word of God to them. And for that reason, and for that season, God gave the prophets Now, we don't have prophets no more. Like that, we're preaching. And the preaching is not the same as prophecies. Now, I respect John MacArthur dearly. I love him, and I respect him, but I disagree with him on this point. The preaching is not the prophecy. Preaching is the proclamation of already what was written and was given through the prophets. What we do at the church, we preach, but the principle is still the same. As they were neglecting the prophecies, we are guilty today just listening to different passages, different sermons, and different preachers, and doing nothing with the word. We're just despising it, saying that's a good thing. 
The preacher is like a, a good singer. An American got talent. Great. We clap. Everything's good. And that's about it. Our problem is our familiarity with the Word of God. Familiarity with the Word of God. I believe that when we hear the Word of God, we must tune our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. What are you trying to tell me? Why do I need to hear this message? What is wrong with me that needs to be changed? The Word of God preached to us must never be despised or suppressed. We don't have the prophets today. With the completion of the Bible, the prophets of New Testament, they're gone. They're dead. They're in heaven. Now we have preachers. But the principle is still the same. As the Word of God came to them and they shouldn't neglect it, when the Word of God comes to you, don't neglect it. It's, well, I know that. I know that. I heard that. I heard that sermon already. I've been at the straight fire conference. Second thing, we quench the spirit when we despise his inner work within us. It's a one thing to reject and, and when the word of God bounces off your heart as soon as you hear. It's just the sower was sowing the seed and the birds came in and ate it. It's another thing when you heard the word of God, what do you do with this? And we despise and we quench the power of the Holy Spirit when we do not allow the, the, the Spirit to produce changes in us. When the Word is not applied, it produces nothing. Here I'm speaking not so much about God as speaking to you in your dreams or in your signs, but when He's preaching to you and speaking to you through the Word that you read every day. I receive tons of notification of you reading your Bible, and that is great. It says, oh, so-and-so read the verse, highlighted the verse, great. The question that comes into my mind is what this word produced in you. How the Holy Spirit, do you experience the power of the Holy Spirit to be changed and transformed? The Holy Spirit wants you to move from where you are today to be more like Jesus. That's the point. That is the point of highlighting the verses, that it produces the change. And in this sense, quenching happens when you and I refuse to obey the word of God. We refuse to think strategically how this word should change me. And we become no different than people in Romans 1.29, for they thought they knew God, but they didn't just give him honor. Jeremiah 16, 12 says, You two have done evil even more than your forefathers, for behold, you are each one walking according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart without listening to me. You see, we need not only the Spirit bring us the word through the faithful man proclaiming the word of God, but we need the Spirit inside of us to incline our ear to obey and to change our spirit into obedient spirit rather than resistance. That is why Solomon, when he was praying over the temple, he says in Psalm 1 Kings 8, verse 57 58, he says, listen to this. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us that he may incline our hearts to himself. 
That's what I'm talking about. We reject the power of the Spirit when we don't incline. We don't allow the Spirit to incline our ears. And what do you need to do? You need to pray and be independent of the Spirit because you can't even apply the Word of God by yourself. You know, it's interesting that in this age, there's a charismatic movement and there's a Pentecostal movement that muddy the water about this prophetic and, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. They're all talking about the power of the Spirit. We come in the power. We, we worship in the power. We, we raise people from the dead, perhaps, allegedly. But is that what God talks about, the power? Every time when you see power of the Holy Spirit in the Scripture, almost every time, it's not talking about changing you physically and giving you health and prosperity. He's talking about you being like Jesus because that's the only thing that you and I cannot do by our flesh to be changed in our spirit and become like Christ. You say, I have charismatic friends. They like to talk about the Spirit and the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The one thing that they can't produce is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You could fake it, everything. You could fake. You could fake the resurrection. You could fake the, the healing from the cancer. You could fake a lot of things. You fake even today the tongue, speaking tongue. But one thing you cannot fake is producing a genuine fruit of the Spirit that is love, kindness, self-control. But this is why Spirit came. Spirit came to, to produce in us to change and prolong the ministry of, the, the, of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. It's the same kind, he just did another person. I'm going to send you this person who would help you to do what I tried to do with you. I made you my disciples. And I walked with you so they could observe me. So you could see who God is. I ate with you. I slept with you. I did many things showing God with you. The Spirit comes to to you to prolong the ministry of the Holy Spirit of of Jesus so that he could change us in the image of God. That's what he says. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. In verse 26, chapter 14, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send it in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I said to you. The job of this Helper is to do exactly what Jesus did with his disciples, to lead them by his word to change. That's the real power of Spirit in you if you experience the change. How do we know that the Spirit of God works mightily within you? You start following Jesus. You start loving people. The love becomes evident. You become light. You cannot hide. Anywhere you go, it's like the lamp. You can't just put it under the table. It's going to burn everything. Look, you could counterfeit many things, but one thing you can't counterfeit, the power of the Holy Spirit that changes you. Does it happen to you? Only Spirit can help us to apply the Word of God and to change us. Pray for it. We need the application of the Word of God. We have the prophetic Word already, but the problem is we don't often know how to apply it. There are people who help with the 
walk with the Lord, they could help us. They could show us. That's what Paul in 5.23, next verse, he says here, now, alluding to this change that must be produced by the Spirit, he says, now may the Lord, God of peace, himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The job of the Holy Spirit, when he is not quenched, to produce change so that you be ready to meet Christ. You know, we're learning all, all kind of things with my little one at homeschool. And she has a science book that called Science You Can Eat. It's an interesting book. And, and we're learning in this book that you could actually use the fruits um, like lemon to write a secret message. So you could squeeze the lemon juice, take a stick, and write it on a piece of paper. And when it dries up, you can't see it unless you put the iron upon it later on or put the heat under it and they become revealed. Well, this is what God wants us to do. Sometimes he put the heat over us to reveal what is in us, his message, he's changing us. He's changing us. And we need to be careful to his voice and to hear his voice and not to dismiss his voice. Not just when we hear the scripture, oh, I'm doing a good job just of being here and listening. No, am I applying this? Do you have an understand what he's talking about? Where you are in the word, you become more sensitive to the guidance of the spirit. The third thing, we quench the spirit when we rely on our flesh rather than relying on the spirit. Now you're excited, you heard the word of God, you made the resolution, I'm going to obey this. I, I know, I strategize, and then you go and do it. You just, you just do it by one verse, Nike verse, just do it. By yourself, pulling yourself by your strength, and you fail. Has it happened to you? Like you resolve, I'm going to drop the sin no more. And you're so like, yeah, man, it's for sure. And the next morning you fail miserably. What happened? i tell you what happened. You tried to do it in your flesh, in the power of your flesh. In Galatians 6, 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. But if you try to start the change with the desire of the flesh, you would never achieve any results. Philippians 3, 3 says, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in flesh. Why? Because Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. So if you started with the fleshly desire, you heard the word of God, you strategize, I'm going to obey it and this is what I do and you do it in the power of the flesh, you profited nothing. Congratulations. You're the square one. That's what Psalm 143 verse 10 says. It is fascinating as it says, teach me to do your will. Not just to teach me your will. Teach me to do your will. For I do not know. I don't have power in myself. I'm relying on the power of God. 
That's why I like the song as we sing, and Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. When sin runs deep, your grace is more. When grace is found is where you are, and where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. You know, when we attempt to have some more hope, we'll be hopeful tomorrow. In the flesh, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we fail. The only God of peace, God of all hope, may fill us with joy and peace in believing. He's the only one. If we try our ministries in the power of flesh, we fail tremendously. Colossians 1.10 says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Try to do it in flesh. Bearing the fruit of every good works and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You have no power. You may have idea that you have power, but you have no power. That is why often going in humility admitting, confessing before God and say, well, I cannot do that. I'm not just your partner, that we partner up to do the ministry of God. We partner up to, to make changes in me. No, you completely rely on him. Now, you are, as I called, your glorified partner. Glorified. You, you do. He does it through you, but, but he's doing it. It's like your five years old tried to help you to change the spare tire in your car. Now, he could do things. He'd give you a wrench, and he could maybe lift. And, but he can't do nothing on himself. He doesn't know what the wrench needs to be used, what jack, and how to lift it up. But he could help you. But you're doing it through him and teaching him. So the Spirit of God enabling us and changing us. And number four, we quench the Spirit when we disregard sin in our midst. In the midst of our family, in your own personal life, and in the church. When we just disregard, we think that we're just super loving and kind and let the sin run riot. We quench the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, I alluded before, it says, Paul says, grieve, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How? By unwholesome words. You speak unwholesome words and you grieve the Holy Spirit. Your words could grieve the Spirit and quench the Spirit. It's not that you're so powerful. It's just the Spirit doesn't want to deal with that, with the sin. He is prompting us to deal with the sin. Louis Sperry Schaefer wrote that the Spirit is quenched by any unyieldingness to the revealed will of God. When we let the sin grow, we quench the spirit. And we could feel it, right? When the sin is there in your life, you could feel you have no power, you have no strength. And it's actually affect the whole body. That's what Paul in verse 23 says, that the whole body should be sanctified. The whole person should be sanctified, but it also affects the church. Don't think that if you personally quench the spirit, it has no effect on the congregation. Or it does. Or it does. You come with a sad face, it changes the attitude. You know, 
without permission, I'm going to share something about my wife. My wife dropped a piece of furniture on her, on her toe a couple of days ago. And now it's, it's, it's not even blue, it's, it's black. And uh, the whole body suffers. I mean, we in the family suffer too, because now we need to be useful and helpful and, 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 and deal with the, with the trauma. But it affects the whole body. It's not just the toe, it's the whole thing. It's not just you despising the Holy Spirit, just allowing the Spirit not to produce any work in you. Let the sin grow, and you think that congregation will be fine. No, you're affecting the congregation. So there's four things. We should not despise the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's a, it's a very serious crime. It's a very serious thing. Even though Paul, in passing, said this, it has a great implication on our lives. Let the Spirit produce the change. And then you boast in Christ. It's, all, it's only Him who can produce change in me, in, in such a person like me. So the first two commands charge us to pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit and not be easily dismissed. Dismissing. Especially with the, a lot of charismatic movement, we are just dismissing everything. Oh, that might not be from the Lord. Okay, well, what is? Because there is such a thing when you have to apply the Word of God, and it's not directly spoken here. I'll give you an illustration. In 2005, we, we were to move to Los Angeles to get my education and master seminary, and, and it was a challenge because I haven't found the verse that I have to move to Los Angeles. And I try to justify that, but there's a burning fire in me and conviction that God is calling me to ministry. And I put up, and I was ready, we were ready to go in 2002, and we put up and quenched the spirit because we were not ready. And three years later, it became a burden that I could not take it anymore. And no matter what, who says what, and so, well, the Lord doesn't want you to go. You know, my closest relative told me, like, the Lord doesn't want you to go because Los Angeles, there's fires and there's an earthquake. I said, how do you know? Well, it's your opinion. But the more you walk with the Lord, the more you see his will revealed here, the more you're sensitive to his voice, how to apply this truth. Now, the second thing that Paul says, you have to be discerning. You have to be discerning. Can't just accept every person who comes to say, well, thus says the Lord. If, if he says this, thus says the Lord, I want to ask, where? Where? Now, Paul says, be careful in discerning by the Scripture what good and what is evil. Because ultimately, this is what at stake, whether you're going to believe something that is good or believe something that is evil. And you're going to be changed into something good or something that is evil. And we don't want to do something evil and to be changed into the evil. That's why he says, to be discerning, we must test all what we hear by the word of God. First of all, discerning, meaning that you test everything. Test everything. You know, you speak to people, and as soon as you put question on their experience, 
So I'm really not sure with this experience from God or from Satan. You are almost blaspheming. But Paul, Paul said, well, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid to put to test because every time truth would prevail, if you put truth to the test, it always will prevail. Examine everything carefully, Paul says. The word examine meaning putting to the test literally. And we are more often more careful what we eat on Sunday afternoon in what restaurant. We're yelping everything. Say, well, okay, this is good food. There's a clean bathroom. We are checking. We're testing what we're going to put on our body far more often, carefully, than we're testing what is our experience with the Spirit. Is our experience real? Is it clean? Is it pure? Is it true? God doesn't want us to be simple-minded. He said, well, test everything. He wants us to reason. In Isaiah 1.18, he said, come and let us reason together. You said that you didn't sin, but let us reason. Let us talk. And though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Examine how much, he said. Certain things, right? Something that is suspicious. No, everything. It says, examine everything carefully. That means when I'm talking to you, you should examine. You should be in your Bible. Some of you don't bring your Bibles at all. Maybe you know it by heart, but you better check. I remember one of my sons, I don't remember who, but he forgot his Bible in the car for a week. I was just driving, and so one time I asked, well, did you read your Bible? I said, yes, I did. And I said, well, you forgot your Bible in the car. You haven't touched it for, for a week. How did you read it? So he knew that he was nowhere to go, and it was just kind of corner. He said, oh, I was reading in my mind. So impressive. Are you reading all the world? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus that does. You have to examine. Examine because there are questions in your heart. Whom should I be? Whom should I marry? Should I move to Alabama? And someone come to you and say, well, well, you know what? This is the will of God for your life. But you need to move to Alabama. Really interesting. Don't fall for it. Someone say, it is a, it's the will of God to marry me. Right? Well, how do you know? You have to be careful. Right? And it's often more serious because the Satan appears as the angel of light. Sometimes it's hard to discern. If you don't know the scripture, if you don't study, if you're not there, it's kind of hard because Paul warned us, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of life. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. Now, how do we put to test by the scripture? The scripture are our sole and sufficient criteria for testing of all teachings that claim to have divine origin or authority. 
This is the function of the Holy Spirit. He drives you to test his word. And he's confirming in your heart that this is his word. There's no other objective standard by which we measure all things. In New Testament, there were money changers that there were professionals at recognizing the true coin from the false coin. And how they recognize it, it's not by what insertion was on it, but by the weight. Because the coin could be from gold, but it could be just a half of weight, and that would be forged. So they were professionals of just weighing there, and so this is the real one. We have to weigh the truth, and the truth is always, always appears and confirmed by the Spirit. And what is not of the truth? We have to be professionals of recognizing what truth and what not. This is our job. Do not despise the prophetic utterance, but examine everything. Examine everything. And if you find something bad, you don't have to eat it. If you, if you, found, if you bought a book, and you start reading the book, and the book just maybe after the first chapter, you see, well, there's something in it. It's something that according to the scripture, well, just don't, don't be compelled to read it because you paid for it, right? Just if you, be, if you bought a bad meal and a rotten egg, you know, you don't, you don't have to eat it, right? Just throw it away. But God wants us to be testing things. We'll be discerning. Now, we also to be discerning because we must know and to hold what is good, he said. We must hold what is good. And when we find what is good, hold on to it. Because Paul says here, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to which is good. Holding fast. When you recognize that this is a good stuff, that this is a good teaching, hold it. Hold it. Don't look for the new program, new idea, novel idea, new trend in Christianity. Hold it. This is good. New ministries, not necessarily. Hold it. The word for hold fast can represent a conviction. When you find what is good, you have a conviction from the Lord that you should do it. Receive it by faith. People could call us old-fashioned, narrow-minded, just dumb Christians who are cold, holding to the old book, outdated book, but so what? So what? This is the truth. This is the precious truth, the word of holy God. Paul says that you should hold on to what is good when you recognize that it's good. It's same as, as in parables of four soils, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear it fruit with perseverance. When you test, taste the word of God, when you test it, hold on to it. Hold on to your course. You're on the way to heaven to be changed in the image of God. And number three, to discerning. To be discerning means that you have to be abstaining from every form of evil. It's interesting that he's talking to Christians about this stuff, right? Just, you know, don't quench the spirit. Make sure that when the word of God comes to you, you apply it. Don't just, you know, dismiss it. Uh, Test everything. 
when you find something good, hold it. Do not just you know, seek for something else. And then make sure that you're not involved in every form of evil. Well, this is just a simple teaching, but that's what we need. The emphasis is on the behavior, complete avoidance of any evil teachings or behavior. Nowhere does the scripture permit believers to expose themselves to the influences of what is false or evil for purposes of testing. We should test what is good. We should test what it, it is good. But we should not test it by experience. When Paul says here, avoid, hold fast what is good, but abstain from every form of evil, meaning that do not experience that. Don't be fool like Eve that want to experience evil. That is the dumbest thing that could happen to you, right? Satan comes in and says, well, you know what is good? You want to try what evil it tastes? How about you try what, what bad things, what, what the death tastes? I heard many teenagers told me, many, saying the pot is good. It was created by God. Well, how do I know that, that it's not good if I don't taste it? Well, you just have to read Ecclesiastes a little bit. There was a guy who was a seven stars in his brain, right? He was a smart guy. And he went on that route t- tasting evil. And how did he end up? Not good. By the grace of God, he came to realization. But the whole life, he was tasting evil. Two good tests for what is good and what is evil. Will it make you or others to stumble when you do that? When people see you, will it make them stumble? That's a good test. And number two, if Jesus will come right now, will I be ashamed if I cut in the act? He said, avoid every form of evil, not just your your evil that you hate. I know people hate homosexuality, but they love pornography. We can't pick and choose. It's like, this is the worst evil, and, but this evil is acceptable. He said, avoid every form of evil. Pride is evil. Disregarding people, evil, and so on. Paul is closing this letter With such warning, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is good rule to live by. Have this resolution. Do not quench the spirit. Check your heart. Let the spirit work in you. Let it be obvious for people who live with you and in the church and in the world. May God bless us. Father, we thank you for allowing us to receive the word of God. And we pray that you incline our ears to do it. And as we go right now, that it would not fly from one ear to another out of the wild, but that it would settle in and that would change by the power of the Spirit or help us to experience the power of the Spirit in a real, real tangible way. I pray 
the name of Christ. Amen.